interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T. This is the MLW Radio Network. Hey, everybody. We're back. Not that we ever really left, but we're back better than ever with more great episodes of Primetime with Sean Mooney for free. Okay. I guess we need to explain a little here now, and um, I'm going to try and do my best to do just that. So here we go. Full disclosure. Uh, Just about a month ago, we attempted to take the podcast to a premium platform. Those of you who came along with us, as you already know, I am eternally grateful. We had some great episodes, four in total, with uh, Jim Ross, also B. Brian Blair, Tony Schiavone joined us as well, and Bushwhacker Luke Williams. Great guests. Great conversations. Uh, problem is, not as many subscribers signed up. Uh, you know, we expected thousands, like we had uh, on the free side. Uh, we got hundreds instead. And while we continue to add subscribers every day, it would have taken a long time to get anywhere near the thousands of listeners that we had every week uh, for free. Uh, that we're getting the podcast for free. Another issue uh, that we had was uh, advertising commitments on the free side that uh, I still had to fulfill. And after we went to the premium platform, even more advertisers were added for future episodes that, well, I uh, am going to have to make good on. So, uh, you know, initially we were thinking that we would change the name on the free side, but we couldn't do that because the spots were sold for primetime with Sean Mooney. As you might imagine, that created a lot of confusion for people because we were essentially doing two versions of primetime with Sean Mooney. Anyway, with all that, the decision was made to return to offering the podcast for free on all of the same platforms that you have listened to the podcast on before. Okay, you got that? So that's where we are. The premium site has now been suspended, and all of you that have subscribed will not be charged again. And if you did subscribe, you already received either a signed picture or a phone call from me. If not... Uh, and you haven't contacted us already, do so and let us know what you would prefer, a phone call or a picture, and we are going to get that done. Please be patient, though. There are a lot of you. Okay, as far as the episodes I mentioned earlier, the one with JR, also B. Brian Blair, Tony Schiavone, and Luke Williams, uh, we are going to release all of those episodes as bonus episodes in the coming weeks. Um, They will not be put up as new episodes Uh, There will still be new ones every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, But we really want everyone to get the chance to listen to those great episodes. So we're going to release them as bonus episodes. So stay tuned on all of our social platforms on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, you know, our address is uh, at Primetime Mooney, at Primetime Mooney. And of course, we'll be uh, keeping you up to date on when we're going to release those on our Facebook page, Primetime with Sean Mooney. We will let you know when those episodes are going to be released. The other fantastic great news is that we now have a website. Uh, Thank you, Evan Polisher, who works with us. Uh, uh, The address is primetimemooney.com, primetimemooney.com. 
And uh, that is going to link you to everything with Moon Nation. Everything that we do is going to be linked through that website as well. It links you to all the episodes of Primetime with Sean Mooney. It also links you to all of our social media outlets and even our Primetime tees, you know, the home of the Sean Mooney Who t-shirt. So when in doubt, when you are trying to find a destination within Moon Nation, uh, just go to primetimemooney.com, primetimemooney.com. Uh, also, as I mentioned, I recorded a number of short conversations. I've uh, mentioned this uh, over the last uh, week or so. Uh, I recorded a, a number of short conversations while I was at WrestleMania in New Orleans, and I'm calling them uh, mini uh, PTSM eps, little episodes, um, as in uh, with uh, you know all the superstars that I had the chance to speak to at WrestleCon and uh, while I was in New Orleans. So we are going to release one of those tomorrow. And these are, you know, these uh, anywhere from five to you know seven minute conversations I had with these guys. We're going to release those. Uh, we're going to put one of those up tomorrow. Uh, you know, in the same on the same platforms that you guys are listening to, if it's iTunes or wherever it uh, might be, Google Play, you will able uh, you'll be able to listen to one of those mini apps as we'll be putting those up every week as well. Okay, so uh, love to give stuff away. You know that. If you caught my Facebook Live on Tuesday night, you know we gave away a great pick of the three faces of Ottman, Fred Ottman. And uh, if you know your wrestling uh, history, you would know that Fred Ottman was also Typhoon, the Shockmaster, and Tugboat. And we gave away a picture uh, that he signed for all three of those uh, characters uh, that he uh, these three gimmicks that he had, and that's a very unique picture. There's not too many of those out. We're uh, giving that picture away. We're going to announce that. Uh, it, well, and maybe by the time you listen to this, it'll already have happened. But we're going to give even more away from my WrestleMania trip to New Orleans. I came back with some tremendous stuff, guys. I mean, really, I got some uh, awesome stuff to give away. Stay tuned. I'm going to let you know how you can get another item from my treasure chest after today's conversations. And it is a good one. So let's get to it. Ding, ding, ding. As I'm sure you have grown accustomed to on Primetime with Sean Mooney, we have very unique guests on this show every week. This episode is no exception. He appeared on the scene of the WWF WWE back in 1991 as Bobby Heenan's sidekick on his talk show on the USA Network. Remember that? Appropriately named The Bobby Heenan Show. My guests uh, you haven't heard from uh, uh, over the years, uh, and he's done some interviews, but we're really honored to have him with us. Uh, John DiGiacomo is with us, uh, or as you knew him back then, as Jameson. And John, thank you so much for coming on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Sean, I'm so excited to do this. You're my favorite. Ah, man, you know, and we were just talking before we uh, started rolling here about how 25 years plus has rolled by and it really doesn't seem like it, does it? Totally not. Totally yeah. not. And I think Bobby's show debuted in 89. Was it? In 89? Was it 91? 89. Was it? Okay. I don't want to correct you, Sean, because you're always right, but. I think it was 89. Yeah, I'm just thinking if it was that early on, you're probably right. I didn't. I was around till 93. So anyway, but that's when you arrived uh, in the WWF. That certainly makes sense. And uh, 
you know, isn't it amazing though? Like we just mentioned that span of time here and, uh, isn't it amazing how people that, uh, you know, were so that I mean, with this whole podcast is about that era, the eighties and nineties of, uh, professional wrestling and what went on, especially during the years with the, the WWF WWE, as everybody knows it today. But, uh, you know, that people are so connected to that period of time. And when you, uh, in their eyes disappear, uh, you you leave the globe. You're you're no longer on the planet, and they just can't understand like what happened to that person. Yeah, uh, doesn't it amaze you though? Like how many people are interested to know what happened to Jameson? I am so blown away by evidently there was like this whole search. Yeah, from me. Yeah, um, that went on in you know the early two thousands, and they they they. Um, there was an actor, he's still an actor, by the uh-huh. name of Andy Kindler. Kindler, yeah. Uh-huh. Who um, was on Ray Romano's show, mm-hmm. Everybody Loves Raymond. And um, people thought, that a rumor started that that's who played Jameson. And even if you go on his IMDb page, uh-huh. um, his the Jameson credits are on his page. <laughs> <laughs> he, someone else put that on there. I've yeah. met Andy. He's a great guy. He never took credit for it. no. Oh. Nobody wanted to take credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> he had a lot. It was like a, a scar on his on his resume. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> did he have? Right. A, did he play a character like that? Did he do uh, kind of? No, uh, I mean he's that? naturally nerdy in real life, Andy, and his character was very nerdy on on Everybody Loves Raymond and. Uh, and the guys had a big career, mostly in besides on that show, but in done a lot of the Pixar, Disney um, animated as a voiceover. Um, and he's a really good guy. Yeah. Well, that's cool, though. But that's kind of, a, as they say, you know, flattering that people identify yeah. you that. I uh, would get a phone call a week from somebody saying, hey, you know, they're looking for you. Uh-huh. And I thought it was because I owed somebody money. Uh, but... <laughs> It, yeah. But they, there was all this, I mean, when they finally, it's so funny how they found me too. Um, but when they found me, there was like this, this wave of interest mm-hmm. in the guy who played Jameson. Um, well, you were hiding in plain sight, right? You were, st- you were still uh, in New York City, right? When I they found was, you. But I, I, for about seven or eight years after my WWF career, I, Stayed in acting. I, I did a couple of movies and commercials and um, did a lot of stuff off Broadway in New York. But around 2001 or so, I, I left the business to buy a home and have kids and figured I could always get back to it. Right. Couldn't get a mortgage. Even yeah. though I was supporting my wife and I as yeah. an actor, yeah. banks don't want to do business. No. Right? When no, your, no, you have, your income is that. Yeah. Your last job is, it could be your last job. Right. So so I figured, let me go back to, let me, let me get a real job, buy a house, pop out a couple kids, and then I'll go be an actor again. But one of my kids, one of my two children, um, by age three was just so much better than me already. And (sighs) he's had some run of success he just turned 13 but he's done more in his 
very young life than I did in 20 years as, as an actor. You're talking about uh, James DiGiacomo. A lot of people have, uh, know who yeah. he is. Uh, of course, the, the Cam Newton commercial, the Play 60, which I actually I just watched it again today because it's such a great commercial. But you said so, that kind of launched his career. And, yeah. and I definitely, we're, we definitely, I want to talk about James because I know that's become a big part of your life, uh, uh, helping him with his career and, and seeing what it's turned into. But uh, so many people want to hear about uh, that character, Jameson, that you played. And, uh, you know, with my podcast, I'm always fascinated. One of the things that, and, and I've uh, known this since I was uh, young, uh, that, you know, your path is really what, early on, uh, develops the kind of person that, that uh, who they become and what profession they go into. And I'm always fascinated by, uh, you know, people's road that they, they take. Um, I, I, I gather that you grew up in New York and were you always this kid who was a performer? Because that's usually, uh, kind of the early signs that somebody is going to be an entertainer. Um, I was, but privately, like really amongst, in my family, amongst my friends, I, I, so many people told me growing up and into my teens and early twenties, you know, you should do stand up and, I uh, was more of a realist and and uh, went to college and um, was on Wall Street after college for yeah um, you know eight or nine years before wow. I just totally burned out. All those Wall Street movies are true, by the way. Yeah, and that's what um, I was gonna say. You've heard this story before. Yeah, but it's all. I mean, it, it was even worse than those movies. Um, and I decided before I, if I, I stay here, I'm going to die. Um, yeah. let me go do stand up, And, and I did. But and, did you have uh, that acting bug early on? I mean, were you, did you never, I didn't even have school? it. No, I didn't even have it when I was acting. I mean, I really wanted to do stand up, and friends of mine started this murder mystery company, this audience participation, um, murder mystery where yeah, it was popular at, the, at that time very I remember. popular it, it was on the heels of tony and tina's wedding which was probably the forerunner of all those audience participation shows um and we had a great company we we went equity um you know we we had all union actors mm -hmm. um and uh we actually won a competition held by fox new york best murder mystery company in yeah. New York and got to do it live on uh, one of their broadcasts. And um, it just, you know, I, I, I wasn't an actor, but I would say 75% of those shows was improvisation. Right. And I was really good with thinking on my feet and, and all that. And in the, one of those shows, we developed the character of Jameson yeah. and Vin, Vince actually came to one of the shows um, reluctantly. Um, it was one of his friend's wives' surprise birthday party. They rented the whole the whole restaurant. Right. Um, and we did a performance. And Vince just thought I was the funniest thing he ever saw as Jameson. Yeah. And brought me into... Uh, Audition with Bobby told me, come in in character, don't break character. 
I want Bobby to really think you are this guy. Uh-huh. And um, we had a, a blast for about an hour, and they put a contract in front of me, and I was the co-host of the Bobby Heenan show. Now, before we get into that, and I always like to back up a little here because it, it gives people more of an understanding of like who you are, how you ended up sitting in Vince's office. And you mentioned you know, you're doing this dinner theater, but uh, I really found interesting when you talk about, uh, and I imagine that you had uh, been on stage several times before that even happened as a stand-up uh, comic, uh, that, and, I, and others have said this, but there, there's no other uh, uh, frightening, uh, more uh, uh, individual performance than standing on a stage and trying to get people to laugh. Oh, it's the worst. And, and, what was some, were some of those early experiences like for you, and what did you take and learn from it? Well, first, let me say that I got very, very lucky. My very first um, open mic comedy night, which was Is this in the city or out? Three or four days after I quit Wall Street. Wow. Um, <laughs> actually happened to be, I kind of walked into this, um, it was a competitive situation where um, the winner of the Open Mic Comics got to host the weekend show that weekend, and Ray Romano was headlining that wow. show. And yeah. so I actually, my first paid performance was, um, you know, emceeing for a, a, a professional show that, and nobody knew who Ray was at the time. This was 1988. Yeah. Um, and um, I actually, was, that was the only open mic night I did. I actually got booked um, somewhat regularly from that one performance. And I had a great 10 minutes. Uh-huh. The problem was you really need a great 30 minutes. And, right. you know, I, I, uh, I, fought my way through it and, and, um, had some early success when Vince, um, met me, I was, you know, like I was looking for a, a break right. from the standup because it's just a miserable existence. Yeah. It, it's tough. It. No money. It's real, it, no money. Yeah. And, and at that time, and at that time, John, um, I remember I was living in New York City at the time. I was working for Major League Baseball Productions during that run. And I remember that every restaurant, every basement, uh, you know, music, uh, you know, club or whatever had a comedy club on one night a week or a couple nights oh a week. Oh, my God. Just, it was horrendous. Yeah, it wasn't just, uh, you know, uh, catch a rising star. It was right. had one. And so the, everybody who wanted to be a comedian was, was uh, trying this. Yeah. It was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. And I welcomed um, the change from stand-up to acting, although it took me a couple of years of as a working actor to say, wow, I really want to do this. And I kind of had to reinvent the wheel and, and start training two years after I was already in the actors union. I, that's when I said, you know what, I better learn what I, uh, I'm just, I'm winging it right now. And luckily I had enough I was funny, naturally funny enough and had good, um, you know, uh, good improv skills right. to get me through. But but 
when you're working in New York City on an off-Broadway, I mean, the, the, the competition is just scary. Yeah, frightening. And, and you, uh, and it wasn't, you weren't the Jameson character as a comic. You were, uh, I don't know what kind of your, your shtick was, but uh, you said you had a great 10 minutes. Do you, re- you remember any of it? Oh, my God. I was just a real, I was really dirty. <laughs> um, and not not anything like Jameson because yeah. Jameson was so you know it was I was a guy who as an actor was booking work as like a mafia tough guy or a Spanish gang yeah you know, right you know I was a tough guy I was I was in good shape I pretty muscular and could really play that evil nasty guy Hood. pretty yeah. well. Jameson was like, you know, he was like this alter ego who I I realized a couple years into Jameson that I had been doing Jameson my whole life (laughs) was this character that I brought out um, since, you know, probably middle school, high school for all my friends and just didn't realize that, you know, he was there all the time. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and you know, uh, I always wondered because you said you kind of developed this character. They wanted, well, I don't know what, what they told you. Oh, we need a, I think the first guy was a, it was, it was supposed to be a character who was a former vaudeville comedian, or I don't know how Jameson came about, but what direction did you get? And then how did Jameson come out of it? Well, this is really funny because I was doing stand up. Yeah. And I got a job offer to, go on the road with a, a, a very popular band at the time, a uh, British reggae band by the uh, name of UB40. Oh, um, yeah. They, they, red, <laughs> they red, did okay. Long, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was about maybe six months into my stand-up uh-huh. career and thought, wow, what a great way to see the country, make good money, and yeah. I could really concentrate on writing. Mm-hmm. And while I was on tour, which – wound up lasting about nine months. Wow. Friends of mine started this murder mystery company. And but were you, were you, uh, were you, um, uh, opening for them? Like you go No, out- no, no. I was oh. strictly an employee. I was their merchandise oh. manager. Oh, okay. I basically ran the merchandise sales for them. Okay. Um, t-shirts, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and they were doing big numbers at the time. It was very lucrative nine months for me. And, while I was on the road, and believe me, we that that tour went forty six states. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it was a great one of the best years of my life. This is nineteen eighty eight, and um, friends of mine started this murder mystery company. And the very first murder mystery they wrote, the show they wrote, was this, you know, nineteen twenties um, period piece. And they needed a vaudeville comic. They needed a, a, a guy who could do it. So they contacted me on the road. They said, you know, I know, we know you're coming home soon. We open in December. We want you to be the vaudeville comic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. The money was good. Um, but it was, an, it was acting involved. And I had never done that. And um, luckily, like I said, the acting was only about 25% of it scripted scenes. Mm-hmm. The rest was all improv. And I yeah. killed. Yeah. And, but how did you not come up with somebody like a? I would think if somebody said, "I want you to do a 
vaudeville, I would have thought, you know, Jackie Mason or Shecky Green or something. Yeah, I was the Italian. I was my, I think my name in the show was Carmine, and I was really okay. this real womanizing, slick comic. I had good stuff, uh-huh. you know, funny stuff that I stole from my stand-up yeah. um, and just try to make it work within that time period. Okay, so Jameson hadn't been born yet, really. No. No. And then... So the show was a huge success. I mean, we sold out like three months in advance and realized we got another, we got to write another show because we want repeat customers. They're not going to want to come back for the same show. Yeah. You go to the tri-state so, after a while, you're going to run out of uh, places. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So we write this show and we wrote a real easy part for me um, in terms of scripted lines it was very heavy on the the improv, and we were a, a few weeks away from opening and decided that because we were so popular, we should really bring in better talent, get some, you know, go go union, mm-hmm. um, you get all union actors. Yeah. So be, the show became very expensive to yeah. produce that way, but that's the way they wanted to go. They wound up cutting two characters to save money. And one of them was my character. So the only character left um, that wasn't cast yet was Jameson. Uh-huh. And they said, you're going to be Jameson. And I'm like, I can't. This is a great role. You need an actor to do this. I can't be Jameson. <laughs> and I really fought them. And they said, just come to rehearsal. And I brought a pair of glasses with me. And I crossed my eyes. Yeah. And from that very first rehearsal, Jameson was real. And he was the star of the show. He, I mean, I got write-ups in the newspaper. Um, Jim Ryan from um, Good Day New York, I think it was called. Yeah. yeah. Interviewed me. We won the best. Um, there was a lot of success uh, connected to that show that Jameson was really the star of. And that's the show Vince saw. Yeah. And now you, before you, you talk about Vince's, uh, when you, that character, and I was a huge Jerry Lewis fan when I was a kid. And it just always reminded me of the nutty professor. Did you draw on any of that? Or was this all, like you said, this character that had been in you anyway? I would say that, I drew, I subconsciously drew off that character because um, I was a huge Jerry Lewis fan. Really? Um, (laughs) Me too. When I was a kid, I couldn't get enough. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think Lou Costello, in terms of his physical reactions to like violence and um, he was another one of my, you know, heroes and, uh, but I don't ever consciously i don't remember ever saying okay well i'm gonna do this like jerry lewis did it or i'm gonna do this like anybody did it i was my own guy and realized that i used that jameson boy i mean growing up all through middle school and high school this character came out of parties (laughs) um but in a different way um wasn't like Jerry Lewis. Hey, lady. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. 
And Jameson was vicious. I mean, Jameson really? had a, a bad temper and dark side, a filthy mouth. And <laughs> me and Bobby had some so many funny moments uh, off camera with yeah. with me staying in character, but being a little bit dirty. Yeah, I and love, love had some recordings we, of that. I saw had, a few of those performances, but I wish we would. You know what's really them. funny? I shot a tape with a friend of mine um, during the latest stages of my WWF career. Yeah. It's like 10 minutes long and it's fucking hilarious. Oh. It's on uh, VHS. It's, you can, that's oh, it's, not, it's not on YouTube or anything where someone could find no. it. You gotta, you gotta put that up, John. That would be I awesome. gotta get that up. Yeah. It, it, I, I just found it. I lost it. For the first time in years, yeah. and it is hilarious. It's it's Jameson going Un going to the gym. Yeah, <laughs> uncensored. Uncensored. Well, yeah, <laughs> uncensored. It is, Sean. It is uh. freaking hilarious. I got it. It's ten minutes of priceless. Video. Oh, I got to figure a way of getting this up. And, well, uh, that yeah, they can get that done. The technology exists. You can get that transferred to digital, and get that up. But uh, oh really, you got to do that. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I want to get into the the improvisation, uh, folks. We are going to get to Vince and everything that happened with it. I promise. Uh, but I just found when uh, doing research, I do uh, as much as I could find with uh, with with our guests, and um, you talk about improvisation and. I've always been fascinated by it. I've, uh, I think in, in some ways I have some talents that way. It's oh my God, Sean, let me tell you something for a good looking straight commentator. When I say straight, I don't mean gay. Yeah. Or yeah I, okay, I, I mean, just, straight, but like, not that there's anything wrong with it. Let's make sure. Not that this is right. <laughs> right. Jerry. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean that, that straight man kind of, you, you were great on your feet, brother. You were great on your feet. You fed everybody when they needed to be fed. And I, I always admired your work because for me, I got to hide behind a mask. Um, even though Jameson, I mean, I got to hide behind a character. You pretty much had to be Sean. And, and you still were able to be funny and, um, and get what what production needed out of the wrestlers because some of them were not good interviews. No, no, you're right about that. And I learned a lot from people like Bobby and uh, you know Gene, of course. Gene oh, Orkin is great. tremendous at it. Uh, but I, you know, I always wanted to do more. You know, remember when they had they had the character they had me do Ian, and I'm like thinking this is my chance. I get to play yeah. a character. I get to be a heel, and it it really didn't turn into anything because they wouldn't let me do that. But, uh, when you talk about improv improvisation and I, and you're exactly right, uh, you either, you either got it or you don't, you can't teach it. Right. Agreed. And, and it's, it's the truth because I mean, people can learn, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I went to a couple of improv classes. I remember in college and, you know, the, one of the women had appeared on SNL or something. And I just remember watching these people and say, you, they can be up on stage all day long, but they, you know, it's, it's, it, there's that special person that you give them something and, and right away they can, 
they can do something with it. You know, uh, you're in an elevator and uh, the woman keeps poking you with her umbrella. Go. You know what I mean? And and that's right. those are the people you you see it. It doesn't happen that way. So right. And and it, it's impossible to learn it if you don't have it yeah. in you. I yeah. I coach actors now, and yeah. um, if an actor says to me, I, I think I I need to take an improv class, and I'm like. You don't need an improv class. You you are what you are. Go do open my comedy. Yeah, and and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of superstars back in the day, that, and because I I'm sure they they're around today. I'm just saying from my experience, and I'm I'm sure you saw it too. There were there were guys that you looked at and said, you know, they're genuinely funny. Hacksaw Jim Duggan and and uh, oh absolutely. You know, you know who was like great. That. Yeah. You know who I really admired was um, Mr. Perfect. Oh God, no kid! I loved Kurt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not only. I mean, plus he was a he was a real wrestler. I mean, that guy was such an athlete. But he 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 brought it. Interviews. He was hilarious. No, he was genuinely funny, and that's and that's what I'm saying. There's people that even if you would put them in a different place, Bobby was one of those people I think who could have been very successful in Los Angeles as. Uh, you know, a comedic actor. Um, and, and, and you're right. They either, you know, they had it and there was others that, that just didn't. Thank God they could perform in the ring. But uh, there were some people, and I, I it's a lot longer list than Hacksaw and, and uh, Kurt, but you you knew it. I knew it. I could, I could see it as well. Yeah. My favorite, I got to tell you, my favorite people to work with were Ted and Sherry. Um. Ted DiBiase. Yeah. 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 I mean, Ted was such an evil guy and off camera, the sweetest, lovable, huggiest guy you'd ever want to meet. Yeah. And Sherry, uh, I don't know about that, but she was very, very talented. I, uh, having worked on Spotlight with her, she would beat the stew out of me every week, but I I loved her. Me too. Me too. She was a great performer. So yeah. I think underrated in the overall scheme of things, underrated for what she brought to WWF. Well, and also the impact she had on professional uh, wrestling and what she did for women, uh, who actually, you know, she helped so many cross that line. She was as big a superstar as any of the other guys uh, at that time. She was that big, and she, that paved the way uh, for so many others. And what we see now with the divas, there's no question about it. Uh, great, uh, it's a great on-camera personality. I mean, she was, and a great person off-camera. I mean, I was probably, I was probably closer to her when I was on the road than I was to anybody else. Yeah. Um, in the day, we were, we would, everybody would go out drinking after the shows, and I would hide, um, so I didn't have to go drinking with them because yeah. they were nuts. That was, um, but that she was, was wise. Uh, she was a pothead. She was a pothead like me. Uh, yeah. So you had a few uh, out at a balcony somewhere sharing a, a doobie here and there with. Uh, or behind the, you know, behind the hotel or, you know, but I, I, I really went with the few tours I did. I think I did maybe three. Yeah. Um, I was not into. That scene when these guys lived for the road and they couldn't wait till the shows were over and they could just go to a strip joint or something and just 
release all that, uh, all those male hormones yeah. Yeah. all over the place. All right, as, as usual, I get off track, and uh, I got to get the rails. Uh, I got to get the train back on the rails here because I know people dying to to find out uh, more about that whole uh, moment uh, when you got that phone call. And this is after uh, Vince. And I and here, I'm going to go off the track again even before I get there. Uh, you know, we lived, Jameson, what I always refer to as Camelot in Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, there was a, a small group at the time, and you know, what, uh, how big that staff was when we, uh, at that time, I mean, there was Kevin Dunn and, you know, the people that were in edit one, you knew this, you were there many times and the staff was very small. You knew everybody. And so living in this, what it was in a lot of ways, a small town, uh, we all, there wasn't a whole lot to do in stamp. So it wasn't unusual to run into Vince and Linda somewhere, uh, when you were out in the, in the city and, uh, Vince, they, you know, they would go out and socialize, not real often, but like you said, they got invited to this dinner party for whatever reason they ended up uh, there. But Vince liked to discover talent that was outside of the usual uh, world that he existed in. Todd Pettengill is another example. He listened to, you know, the Z100, and that's how he found Todd Pettengill, basically. And he goes to this dinner. He is blown away by this guy doing this character, Jameson. And then let's pick it up from there. You get a phone call and you must've been like, what? Well, or were you expecting it? I wasn't expecting it. What happened was I recognized him in the audience and I got to take you back to this place, which was this beautiful haunted mansion that they turned into a restaurant that had six different dining rooms. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some only held like 20 people. Some hold, held 50 people. Um, but we would have to do each scene six times. The actors would rotate through the restaurant. Uh-huh. Um, and I recognized him. Right. And when it came time for the improv moments where, like, where the, the audience gets to interrogate all the characters after the actors. The, okay. Yeah. All the actors after the murder happens. Um, you know, moments like that. And at the beginning where you're just mingling with people coming in, um, I was just at my best. And, and Vince, I mean, he, he was red faced from laughing so hard. And I, I saw it. And, um, and I said to myself, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to find him after the show and introduce myself because I know he liked. Yeah. You know, you killed it. Yeah. And I went up to him and I wouldn't say it, he wasn't standoffish, but he was a little bit reserved, shook my hand and said, what a great show. And that was it. You know, so, that was a Saturday night. Sunday comes and you kind of forget, like, uh, you know, you, you figured he might have said something that night to make me feel like yeah, he was thanks. interested. Right. But come Monday morning. He called the producers, or WWF did, to get in touch with me. They wanted me to come in, in character, and meet Bobby in a... They were holding a staff meeting, and they wanted me to walk into this meeting as Jameson. In character. In character, Mm -hmm. and just interact with Bobby. And it was just... And Bobby, I'm telling you... 
the first 15 or 20 minutes did not know what to make of me. Yeah, so they and gave him no heads up on this. No just heads up. walk into this room. Under what premise? Uh, otherwise, security would have grabbed you. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's a little Long lost nephew. Was, <laughs> but um, I forget how I was introduced to him. Yeah. But there were like six people in the room, I think. Like Pat Patterson was there and uh, Mr. Dillon and um, I don't know that any, but, oh, you know, you remember Michael Feinberg or Feinberg? Oh, Court, yes. Uh, Yeah. I think you uh, had mentioned him before, but yeah, well, Michael was very talented. Michael, when they lost Michael, let me tell you, they lost a lot of that the humor that went with primetime yeah. and later with raw. I mean, Michael was the guy. Yeah. He was an advertising guy. He was uh, the guy. He came up with the, um, the bits for primetime. Yep. And when they, when they gave that job to Kevin and I love Kevin, but it was a little bit, uh, you know, Kevin was Michael's support, but when Kevin became the main guy, it, it just wasn't the same. Yeah, well, Michael was another guy who came from the uh, outside world and had a really rich advertising background. But he also was, I think he was kind of like one of these frustrated, um, you know, comedy writers or television writer. That's what he, he was really great to do. Yeah, he, he was, was very great. talented. Yeah. He came up with all my bits, like the berserker really? throwing me off the roof. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 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 So anyway, so <laughs> I walk in and it took a while and then there was like you could almost see the light bulb 15 or 20 minutes into this thing go off in Bobby's head where he said oh this guy is not for real this is the worst and it actually got the the exchanges got funnier after that <laughs> because he you know he had no ambitions to really you know undress you have it right and, right yeah verbally undress me and and we had a great interaction and um Shortly thereafter, they um, offered me a contract. And when I say shortly thereafter, I mean like within minutes. I don't even mean. You didn't leave the building. I didn't leave the building. Oh. Um, and, uh, and that was it. I was I was uh, Bobby's co-host. And we, we had a blast doing it. USA hated it. So it only yeah. went four episodes. Was that it? You know, I'm. You know, that was racking my brain because there's really no record of how many. I knew it wasn't that many, but there's a lot behind that too, John. Um, Now, to give everybody a little quick history of this, how it all unfolded, is that, um, you know, for years it was was Bobby and Gorilla. And uh, a a tremendously popular show between those two. And I'm sure, John, you will agree with me that as a team, they were unmatched. Unmatched. When it came to uh, play-by-play, when it just came to them interacting, they were just, it was Abbott and Costello. It was this, that kind of magic. And uh, there, there was some things going on then. Uh, uh, Gino, or Gorilla, uh, was not in the greatest health. There was he had a, a, a few uh, incidents during that period of time. And it uh, started to, they were trying to do different things. So then we went to this live audience idea. Vince wanted to do this. In, we shot it in Stanford, in the studio built this big set and uh, Vince was the co-host initially. Um, 
and then and with Bobby, and then you know, as like anything else, Vince would do stuff for a few months, and then either he would just get tired of it, it would, or, or it just came too much out of his schedule. He's doing a million things, so I got the opportunity to co-host it, which was great. I loved doing it. It was a great experience for me because I'd never had that. Uh, kind of experience of doing something in a, in a closed studio like that with a live audience. So that was great. And Bobby was, I learned so much from him during that period of time because it was, it was nerve wracking. Uh, it was the way we, we shot those things. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Anyway, it, it goes on and then, uh, they decide that they want to give Bobby another platform and they come up with the Bobby Heenan show and they figure, okay, we've got a two-hour block here. So all we're, what we'll do is we'll just, the last half, uh, half hour of the show will become the Bobby, I think it was a half hour, right? Yes. Okay. We'll just make, we'll just kind of go to break. We'll come back and we'll call it the Bobby Heenan show. Well, that didn't work out so well with the USA Network. When they saw it, they're like, what? It's a, that's another show. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if it wasn't so much they hated it. Maybe uh, they didn't get it, obviously. But that also was another part of it that, uh, you know, Titan or whatever the company we want to call it at the time, uh, WWF, didn't talk to them about doing this. And it was kind of, it was a wild show. There's no God, question it was, about it. So it was great. Uh, tell me how they first pitched this to you and told you this is what it's going to be about. Um, They just, they told me very little. They said, you're going to be... The Ed McMahon to Bobby's Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to come in, just improvise. Um, right. Just play off Bobby. And they had enough confidence in me very early on that it was going to be all right. Then it, what was funny was it might have been the very first episode. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but now this is 1989. Yeah. and Not 91, folks. <laughs> yeah, and and Vince was not. Uh, they didn't want me to make reference that Vince owned the WWF. They didn't want me to make reference that Vince was everybody's boss because I did it on camera. And as soon as they broke for commercial, they came up to me and say, "Don't ever mention Vince," as because Bobby was like leaning over to hit me and I was calling for Vince to help to save me. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, they told me very little. That's, that's funny though, that, uh, you know, you can't mention that Vince owns a company when everybody in the in world of course, he of was the course. man who owned the company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, maybe there was a, to me almost, huh? It was shocking to me almost that, they in commercial breaks ran out, ran to me and said, don't mention Vince. Don't, you know, we're not going to cut that, but don't Vince does not own the WWF. Oh. I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but I, I, that was just the first of, of shocking things that you couldn't believe that, uh, that they, they, you know, that right. were kayfabe, you know, at the time. Um, so they just said, but I guess there was a, there was a purpose behind that, not really letting you know what was going on with it. Um, because they wanted that, that interaction, that, uh, what you were so good at the improv. Right. Would you guys just have a premise? I mean, did you, 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 I know you talk about, uh, you know, you would barely get a chance to talk to Bobby before the show started. Right. Uh, 
were there any bits you said, oh, we're going to do this or we're going to talk about none? The... Never, really? ever. <laughs> they would tell us who the guests were. There's going to be a guy who whistles through his nose. There's going to be an yeah. 80-year-old stripper. Belly Have dancer. Fun. Yeah. Have fun with it. Um, and that was it. Do you think it may have uh, been a better show if maybe they did uh, would have provided a little more behind it? You know, I'm I'm I, I would say for me no. Uh, maybe perhaps for Bobby. Um, yeah, because I I want to get into that too. And I and I don't mean to I I don't want to uh, cuz I loved the the concept of it. I really thought that and and four shows. What couldn't you do? What are you developing? How do you know what you have? Right, but, but listen, we didn't know yeah. that was going to be four shows. We right. didn't know until after the fourth show was shot. Right, that really? we weren't coming back. And that's 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 too bad. But this is the thing that I know, and being around Bobby for all those years, that um, Bobby needed a straight man, uh, in, in a sense. So like he needed like that's why that whole. Uh, dynamic between uh, Gorilla and, and Bobby works so well. And uh, he was kind of lost being the, 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 ho- the main guy, the host. Like he was, a, he's a reacting person. You know what I mean? Like, like I almost felt honestly, if they said that you were the main host like, and Bobby could play off that, it would have, it would have probably been hilarious that you're trying to remain some kind of, I don't know, they've given you this tremendous opportunity and th- and he's supposed to help you and all he does is destroy every every good thing you get to do here. I don't know. But you know what yeah. I'm saying, though, that Bobby, I, I just felt that he was a little lost in that situation, that he yeah. had to, he had to, um, you know, uh, he had to start the conversation. He had to. Right. He was know? the engine. I was the guest. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, he. One of the things that we talked about at that time and even later on was that he really appreciated that for my comedy and sense of timing and all that, that I really was very giving to him in terms of letting him get the last word in or let or setting him up. Um, he always thought I set him up beautifully. Mm-hmm. And and that was important to me. And I got my, my share of laughs. Um, I wasn't a true straight man, but I did know who the star of the show was. And right. he was very grateful that I n- it never became competitive between us. Yeah. And I think that you uh, you also understand after you know doing this that um, not, not necessarily like giving like you said giving in a lot of ways it it bounces it can bounce right back to you like you probably you got laughs by doing that in a lot of ways uh, with that dynamic with Bobby that's why I thought that that really worked well but I felt like you guys needed a ringleader like somebody you know like Gorilla would have been fabulous like enough with you two okay you know and then no it never stops. Right. And that's when I think like when I said when there were situations like that, you guys were freaking gold. It was just. But you, Sean, you were there for some of those. I mean, yeah. you were that guy. You yeah. were that guy for me. Yeah. That's Bobby. what I'm saying. In those moments yeah. when, when you had somebody like that and then it's like, all right, it, you know, and you're just like, oh, my God, you know, like people. And it, it was just 
tremendous. So I felt like I, I was I was disappointed that they didn't give it a shot to really develop into something that I think could have been awesome. And they could have, uh, you know, they yeah, had so we much were... mileage to do that and bring people on that created more situations. And I would have loved to have seen vignettes of you and him on the road somewhere, you know, trying to get somewhere or, you know, I just, yeah. I, there was like so much that would have been, oh my God, it would have been funny. You know, yeah. you and, you yeah, and, you I and agree. Bobby totally in a car, agree. you know, you and Bobby in a car and, <laughs> Like, you know, it's your mother's car and you insist you have to drive it or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, God. And it, it just felt like. Stop so much, it, Bobby. Yeah. I, I, yeah. See, it's coming. You're thinking. You know what you'd made it, yeah, make no, it work. I, I know. And, yeah. and, you know, the funny thing was when, when that show went off the air. Yeah. I was. I mean, when that show ended, I was officially. My contract ended, even though I had a longer, it, my contract was dependent upon the life of the Bobby the Brain, Bobby, the Bobby oh, really? the Eden show. Oh, so I, I was shut down for a while. Yeah. And, but didn't you make some appearances on primetime? Because I remember. Well, that's what, what, what happened was yeah. Vince was, I mean, Sean, without trying to sound cocky or anything like that, I mean, Vince was such a fan of mine. He was so that he wanted that he threw another contract at, at me like a month after that to be a regular on primetime as yeah. an audience member. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and even when primetime ended, yeah. um, replaced by Raw, which was really the way it was explained to me was a money saving maneuver that everything was going to be shot at the arenas. Um, no more studio show is very expensive. And they were going through all that turmoil with, uh, the playboy expose and then the, the, um, steroid thing. Yeah. It was um, going starting up. Yeah. Yeah. That they were, they moved to raw and now yeah. I was really shit out of luck because without a studio show, uh, my only chance was to become a wrestling character. Now, how many um, how many episodes? I'm trying to think that because you know it all jumbles now. But after that, uh, when the Bobby Heenan show went away, how many episodes of prime time did you do I would, before that I would ended? Say I probably did about twenty. Okay, yeah, because I remember it was a bit. It was a pretty good run. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then and the thing was. And I became privy to this well after the fact. Mm. Um, there was a real division among um, among Vince's henchmen, let's call them, mm -hmm. over over Jameson. There was yeah. a, a, a lot of the old school, old time guys did not find Jameson. Um, as a positive. Yeah, they didn't find you amusing. They didn't get it. Well, yeah. they found me amusing, but not in a wrestling sense. Yeah, and yeah. did not think that Jameson belonged in at Raw or in a wrestling ring or at the and um and Vince was very um supportive of yeah. me and would my contract would be up and he. 
throw another one at me. That's when I became yeah. the manager of the Bushwhackers. But he was getting a lot of um, negative feedback from guys like Pat Patterson, um, mm. who who absolutely despised me. Really? Um, <laughs> Why? Why? What was? I, mean, uh, I think for a couple reasons. Um, I, I I think mainly because he just didn't think that I was a wrestling character. Uh, is, I don't I get it. Him. I don't get it. But why is he on there? It doesn't make no sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but I I also think it, there was a personal issue between us um, that I, ha I was so naive to some of the things that were going on there. Um, and I don't want to, you know, this is probably a better conversation off air. Um, <laughs> No, you can't do that now. Come on. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there was Pat was not Pat. Um, thought that I was poking fun at homosexuals. Pat. In what way? I mean, when what? I don't remember. Well, because Jameson and John, for that matter, I got a bit of a lisp. I have a bit of a. Um, speech thing that could be taken and I just accentuated it with Jameson and there was a big gay thing going on at the WWF at that time yeah. that Pat was embroiled in yeah. and um, you know Pat wasn't sure where I stood on that issue but I think you know I and believe me you know I'm as straight as they come I got a lot of gay friends, but I, I'm straight. And there were some wrestlers. And but, but the thing was that I don't ever remember anyone uh, in my mind ever, uh, you know, insinuating, saying that that the character. And that's all I look at. I look at how does this yeah. come on television. I, and never did I ever have an inkling in my mind or ever heard anybody say. That, that that character was somehow feminine or there was some kind of, uh, you know, yeah. Do you uh, know masculinity attached to it at all or whatever. So did you ever, did you guys ever, were you ever, did you ever get good? I mean, or was it always that? Yeah, uh, it was always like negative. He wanted me uh, out. Um, and the, the really good thing was that at a time when, Vince was running out of ideas for Jameson, and he really wanted to keep me. Yeah. Um, I was at a point where my acting career was starting to bud, and I was losing a lot of opportunities because they were sending me on the road, so I couldn't audition, or I couldn't, I couldn't take, couldn't take advantage I couldn't of it. Couldn't audition yeah. for anything when I was going to be on the road. Yeah. It was really impacting my acting career, and I wasn't a huge wrestling fan or. Uh, my my life goal was not to be in wrestling, which I feel terrible about now because there's so many people out there that whose life goal is to be in wrestling, mm -hmm. and I just happen to you know step into it. Yeah, yeah. And we had a very mutual, friendly, loving parting of the ways um, when my contract was coming. In fact, I got out of my contract. Because they were doing a, a Japan tour. And I was like, I'm not going to Japan. Mm -hmm. And 
Hulk Hogan at the time was like a huge, huge supporter of mine who was, you know, the the headline for this tour and said, Jameson, you're coming, you're coming on the store, you're coming. And um, just before my contract was to expire, I went to Vince and said, look, I, I, I can't go to Japan. And, and I think that he had had, had it up to here with some of the old school guys saying, we yeah. got to dump Jameson. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was very receptive to me saying, and he even gave me like a, like a severance check, which I was totally unexpected. Yeah. Um, but we left on the greatest of terms and, um, and that's it. That's the yeah. end of the story. Well, you know, and the thing is that with, uh, you know, like with Vince too, and, and after I left in uh, 93, people couldn't believe, you know, that I left. So I had to have been fired. I had to had falling out with Vince or something like that. That wasn't the case. The guy always took care of me and gave me an opportunity I would have never, ever have gotten. Uh, and I was like you. I kind of stepped into that world and uh, great things happened because of it. And so when people would try and get, you know, get me to come on and, you know, say bad things about Vince, I'm like, I can't do that because you can, whatever there's, you can say what you want from other people, but you're not going to get that from me. Right. Uh, I mean, every interview I've ever done. Yeah. Um, like, come on, tell me, tell me the real story. I'm like, I'm telling right. you. you know? and, and I, I could say that, yeah, I witnessed, um, Vince being not such a good guy to other people, yeah. but sure. Vince was always, very, very good to me. Beyond good to me. Like, was a supporter. Was uh, probably even overpaid me. Yeah. Hey, that's not a bad thing. And you mentioned uh, before we get uh, too far on that, but but you mentioned Hulk, and uh, you know he, he, especially at that time when you came in, he was pretty. He was pretty much untouchable. I mean, there weren't a lot of people. He didn't have a lot of relationships with other people. He had his his set people that were there. Uh, I wasn't one of those people. I mean, uh, I, you know, was fine with him, but I didn't really ever have a relationship with, uh, with Hulk, but, uh, tell us about the, but you somehow, you know, whatever, I don't know, you, maybe you can enlighten us more on it, but he liked you. And I think you talk about how, you know, you'd go to some ve- uh, venues or something and, and, uh, Vince and, and Hulk would fight over who would get to ride in the car with them. Uh, so tell tell us about that relationship with the Hulkster. Honest to God, that was what happened. Yeah. Um, but why did you hit it off with him? Over. How did that happen? Um, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Except I made him laugh. Um, yeah. And there, I think that there was there were certain there was some respect thrown my way by the wrestlers that appreciated the fact that I would take a punch or a throw, you know, like I would encourage Ted, Sherry, whoever I was doing the bit with yeah. to let's sell this. Like fucking hit me. Throw yeah, me. But you were, you resp- also you know? respected what they did, uh, you know, because uh, totally, it, totally. Yeah. And I want, I wanted it to look like uh, the genius just really smashed me in the face. I yeah. wanted it to look like, um, you know, the 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 berserker just dropped me on my head, or, or you know what I mean. You know, it's like 
I, I had some fight background, boxing, wrestling, gymnastics, that in those moments when things got physical with Jameson, I told them to treat me as another wrestler. Like, I'll... You were willing to take a bump. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a bump. And, and there weren't many um, non-wrestling personalities there that were willing to do that. And I think that word got out a little bit, and it was like a special uh, respect that went my way because I was a guy who was in shape, and, uh, you know, despite my getup. Uh, Are you moving around again, James? Because I'm losing you. Guy under that. You hear me? Really? Again? Yeah. yeah. I hear you. You got me? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, there was, there was a, um, you know, there was a physical presence to me that I could handle most of what these guys could throw at me, throwing me around and and stuff like that. But so you didn't really work with that, Hulk that much. So how did that relationship ever develop? Are you just being around the locker room? I just think I made him laugh. I think yeah. that uh, we were in each other's presence enough that. Um, you know, he was great. I mean, years later, we were at the same show and he would, he, you know, came up right up to me. Um, it wasn't so much me having to wait online to talk to him. It was more like him breaking through the crowd of people waiting to talk to him to come over to me. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, and he was. He was big on me going to Japan. Um, you got to be on this. You got to be on the show. You got to be. You, you're coming. You're coming. Yeah. Uh, uh, so getting back though to uh, being, everything had kind of wrapped up, and you live in this. You know, I lived in two different worlds when I worked for the WWF, WWE, uh, where I kind of I had this life in Stanford where I shot all these event centers and shot primetime and did vignettes and Coliseum video with Alfred and all these other things. And then when I would get the chance to go on the road to do uh, whatever the pay-per-view events or TV tapings, and that's kind of a protected world. Uh, you, you know, we would get picked up and we drove, you know, they drive us to the airport and we get on a private plane and then we would, you know, uh, fly to whatever the, the city was and there would be cars to pick you up and they take you down in the arena. You do the event, get back in the cars in your home, you know, the middle of the night. And then there's the other world where when, uh, like the boys lived, uh, they would be involved in all of these events, but at the same time they did house shows and folks at that time. Uh, and I know it well, because I did event centers every week where they would be doing, uh, just, uh, you know, some markets we really do 90 a week of, uh, and there was just, you know, they would have an A tour and a B tour and, the, you know, all kinds of things going on. And it's a whole different world. And you kind of stepped into that. They wanted you to continue on as the character. And I think, was it the first thing you did with the Bushwhackers when they had you be the manager? Or what was what kind of your first experience to that side of the business? Well, I, my, my, uh, my primetime contract expired and they were hesitant to offer me another contract because they knew there was a change coming and right. um 
I was kind of like not expecting to be brought back. And mm. uh, they announced they were going to go to Raw, this live um, thing. So the first couple of tours I did were to establish this uh, um, rivalry with the Beverly Brothers. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, where the Beverly Brothers... I'd be in the audience and they'd pull me out of the, out of my seat and beat the shit out of me. And, and the bushwhack. Uh, yeah, I just lost you again. I don't know. And, I don't and, know where you were, but I just lost you a big hole there. Okay. Well, they, they, they brought me back. They planted me in the audience for live events, TV events. Um, where I would develop a, a rivalry with the genius and the Beverly brothers and they would beat the shit out of me. And then the bushwhackers would rescue me. And then they made an announcement that, um, one of the preliminary matches at the Royal rumble was going to be the bushwhackers against the Beverly brothers. And, uh-huh. um, and that's pretty much for about a year. Um, probably nine months. Wow. That went on and that culminated in, in the Royal Rumble. I think it was 92 Royal Rumble. Now, were you doing um, regular house dates, though? I mean, were you on the road? No, nah, uh, no. Nah, I was uh, I was only doing TV. Okay. Yeah. And so they would bring you, know, you in and you never really had to do go to these uh you know, nah, are with nah, these guys in town, I, and, and I was getting to do some acting work um, on the side. It was, uh, and I had a nice contract. I mean, you know, I was I was able to support myself just off the WWF. Now, when you say a good contract, and I was only working. Yeah, I was only work. I wasn't working much. I only did like three three weeks of touring prior to the Royal Rumble, and I you know, was able to sustain myself for like nine months doing that. I, I would do a tour every five or six weeks. Now you say a good contract and, and you don't have to give me exact numbers, but was it lucrative enough? Like, were we talking six figures kind of contract? No, no, nowhere near that. But I mean, okay. um, it was substantial enough that if I worked, if I went on tour for a week, yeah. I could pay my my bills for two months. Wow. So That's good. Anything I was able to, yeah, so I anything else I was doing was kind of gravy. Yeah, and then you had free time, time between this to go and, like you said, audition. Absolutely. I had do things so and, much free time. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Vince wrote me a beautiful check of the Royal Rumble. Um, you know, it was my my only pay per view event, uh-huh. and um, it was a great way to say goodbye. You know, uh, yeah. because I, I was able to over the the course of that three year period with the WWF, I was able to establish myself enough as an actor mm-hmm. that when the WWF ended, I was a working actor. Uh huh. That's great. And um, did anybody ever, I always wonder because 
you've heard the tales of uh, how brutal, um, you know, some of these people that, that were in the company at the time could be to outsiders and newcomers. Um, and it seems like you, for the most part, escaped all of that. Um, did someone smarten you up to the business early on? Did Bobby ever say to you, hey, don't take your shoes off on a plane. Uh, don't don't go to the boys' rooms when they have parties. Did anybody ever take you aside and, and, uh, and do anything like that for you? The only time was the time George came up to me and said, you got to spend less time with this guy. Yeah. Because. Really? I can't believe that nobody ever. Because, see, that's what saved me. You know, when I first got there, I I had no idea. I, I you know, I'd walk into a locker room and people were speaking this foreign language, as you know, Carney. And uh, you know, I mean, I was clearly an outsider. And if it wasn't for Alfred and and Gorilla, there, I wouldn't have made it through that first year because, you know, I was uh, you're you're kind of you're a target. They test you to see wh- how much you can take. And uh, you know, Alfred was like, look. You know, all those things I just told you, but he said, you know, you're never going to, you're never, he goes, you'll see people, they try and be one of them. You're never going to be one of them. Don't ever try and think you're part of that group. Uh, Always be professional, always be respectful and don't, if things, he goes, things will happen. Just keep moving. Don't act, don't uh, go to somebody to tell them if it's, you know, if anything happens like that, you come to me or come to Gorilla. And really, I wouldn't have made it that first year because then finally I became accepted. But that first year was tough. And I'm surprised. I just you you uh, like you said, clearly coming in, you respected what they did. But I'm surprised that because you did make some good friends there at the time. There were people that did. Maybe they just looked out for you and you never knew it. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case because. And I think a lot of people didn't know what to make of me. Yeah. Um. I could remember Sergeant Slaughter meeting him and him just having this bewildered look on his face. (laughs) And every time, and we were all, it was, you know, there was a bunch of people around. There were conversations going on. And every time I looked over at him, (laughs) he was looking at me. And the minute he saw me, Look back at him. His yeah. eyes, you know, like, like. What the I, hell? I think there was. I think a lot of people didn't know how to, didn't know what to make of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's so funny. And that might be part of why nobody um, came over to me. I know Michael was. He would always say to me, "You're saving my job right now. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're saving <laughs> my job." Yeah. Um, but that was it. I mean, I, nobody except that time on the road, which was towards the end of my stay there, yeah. um, ever. And I was like, oh, my God, no one. And so many things popped into my head, like, no wonder why he did this. Or no wonder. Why. <laughs> oh, God. it was like a light bulb, you know. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was crazy. Maybe that, maybe that uh, just being naive is, is definitely the best best road to travel. Cause uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, it, it is, it's, it's just amazing. And, uh, that you just existed in that somehow you, you, you did. And maybe, you know, I just think a lot of it had to do with just sheer humor 
that. Well, and you talk about even, when else is another thing I thought was fascinating. You say sheer humor that uh, when you after you whatever you were doing uh, took the the glasses and the smelly suit off, that you were a completely different person. I remember seeing you go, uh, "Who's that?" You know, and then I of course knew after a while, but. You transformed. You really did. You would transform into this character. and But you were still like this incredibly funny guy when you weren't that character. And uh, yeah, that must have I been mean, amusing I, for you because you could almost play two different parts, really. You know? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you the funniest thing. Remember Macho Man's bachelor party? You were there. Yes. Remember? Yeah. Do you remember how hot that stripper was? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I really do. She was fat one, not yeah. the big, heavy, <laughs> ugly one. But do you remember the other one, the real stripper they they hired to do that show? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was a knockout. And the funniest thing was, she got when she got there. I was already in Jameson character, <laughs> hair, clothing. You know, in character. And they brought her in, and she took one look at me, and she goes, no, I'll change right here. It was a dressing room. It was, yeah. But it was a big dressing room. Really meant for all guys or all girls. Stuff. She said, no, I'll change right here. And we were, I was sitting there, and we were talking, and she, like, got almost totally naked. I mean, she was topless. She still had... It's just you and her in this in this room? Just me and her. <laughs> and she's talking to me and totally free. And if I tell you, I fell in love like six times yeah. in five minutes. You didn't ask her, what, why is a nice and, girl like you doing something like this? All right. And she's getting dressed fast. I think Favorite she's question. Late. She's, she's getting dressed. And then it's time to go on. And I go out and I don't see her again. Uh-huh. So she finishes her thing and she's in the dressing room and I come out and washing my hair and the sick cause I had all this gel in my hair yeah. and I didn't take a shower, but, um, so she sees me for the first time, not as Jameson. You're John. Yes. I'm John and I'm John with, a, you know, with, I'm, I'm muscular John. Buffed up. And she fucking almost fell to her knees and said, oh, my God, you're that. I cannot even believe that I would have never been naked in front of you <laughs> if I knew you weren't really that guy. You're that uh, unthreatening as Jameson. That's that's right. right. It's I mean, that was. That's one of my favorite stories. And then you and then you went home with her, and uh, yeah, no, I wanted to, but she was like, "You're you, you're a pervert." No, she didn't say that, but I mean, she just felt very um, unsafe so after funny. seeing me as <laughs> somebody other than Jameson, which was pretty funny. Uh, all right, so so tell us how this all uh, ended. Um, you, you, I mean, you have kind of told that story that you didn't want to go to Japan. It kind of yeah, wraps I, I, No, I going was, to that pay-per-view um, event, that that was it. You, that was, this is my Jameson yeah, Swan. I, I knew that I still had contract time, and I, yeah. I didn't want to give up any money. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to be the, I didn't want to be the one to end the contract. 
Um, I was hoping I could get through the contract without going to Japan, <laughs> without without going to Japan and without going to Vince uh -huh. and saying I wanted out. But I knew there was such a movement toward because the whole Beverly Brothers and Bushwhacker thing ended at the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Um, that uh, the right thing to do at that point before they make me get on a plane to Japan was to go to Vince and say, why don't, why don't we just uh, part ways before you guys go through, you know, come up with another contract. Um, and it was very, you know, it was, it was great. It, he, I know it was a huge relief to him that I came forward. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was great. I mean, I went on. I had a, a nice few more years in the biz mm -hmm. um, before I just, you know, got serious about life and, and got married and bought a house and had kids. Yeah. And um, it was great, man. I have such good memories and feelings about my time at the WWF. I know not everybody can say that, but Vince was beautiful. And I well, and the chance great... also to work with Bobby, uh, you know, I don't, uh, uh, I, I, that had to not only been a great experience, but I'm sure you learned a lot from him. I, I you know, what was great about, I was so lucky, um, was that at the time I was doing the WWF and there was never a conflict in, in my timing with the murder mysteries. Uh -huh. And I was getting a chance to do three shows a week at these murder mysteries where I worked with a live audience yeah. improvising. Yeah. And so I was sharp going into Monday tapings. I just did a Friday, Saturday and Sunday matinee yeah. with live audiences and I I was sharp and I, yeah. I I was able to work on stuff at those shows to bring to work on Monday mm -hmm. and um, you know I never had an uncomfortable moment on camera because of those murder mysteries oh. I knew it was working I knew what wasn't working and yeah. Bobby felt like you know just, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you're, I got plenty to work with, with what you're bringing in. Yeah. Did you guys become friends? We did, but we, you know, it was like anything else. Bobby didn't need any more friends and you go your separate ways. Yeah. We've, we, we since were able to see each other at a, uh, at a, at a show which I do very few. I get so many invitations to go do these yeah. signings and, and it's just not my cup of tea. I mean, it's, those are sad days for me because of um, who shows up to them and who does them because they need the money and, yeah. Yeah. and seeing the, the health that some of these guys are in. I, I really don't like doing those shows, but I, I did one. Um, and got a chance to see Bobby and he signed a book for me and he met my son and 
Um, it was. Yeah, kinda, I think you talk about the time he. I I don't know if he could speak well then. Um, he but couldn't. He couldn't. Saw him, that's when I saw him too. Uh, I hadn't seen him for oh, God uh, decades, and I unfortunately, when I did see him, he had had you know part of his jaw removed, and right, he could still you know uh, way he was. He was expressive. <laughs> But it was yes. uh, it was so sad to me to think, and that I remember the one of the first thoughts uh, was that for somebody like Bobby to be silenced, oh it just it, it just killed me of a way oh to have God. something taken from you. Yeah, uh, that just I, and it stays with me to this day, and um, I'm and, glad you got a chance. And his wife, his wife was such. I mean, she, you know, she knew who I was right away. And yeah. she said to me, you know, uh, I'm going to say this for Bobby, but he loves you and he always loved working with you. And you were one of the bright spots in his his career. Like, it, it was just really nice to hear. And, you know, I, I know I know he I know he respected me. Yeah. Um, you know, my my talents or what I brought and. I wasn't trying to, one of the things I made sure that I didn't do was I, I recognized very early on that the jobbers and these guys that were just coming in, yeah. were just starting to get some recognition. This was their passion. This was their life's goal. Yeah. And this was not mine. Yeah. This was not my life's goal and my, um, I was happy to be there, as happy to be making the money, happy to make people laugh, happy to meet legitimate superstars, but I knew life was going to go on for me right. the day this ended, where some of these guys literally lived and died by what Vince and his staff decided for these people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's clear that uh, I mean when it ended, you were able to walk away. And I I think you've said that you look back now and you you say I wish I would have appreciated a little more. Uh, I felt the same way years later. But um, did you did it give you a boost when you left there? I mean, what did you just take time off? Did you go in pursuit of this acting career? What happened after? I I just what. You know, I left there and I went right back, right into my acting career. I started booking work um, in the city off Broadway. I, I, I think you wrote some plays, I, right? I wrote plays that were two, well, one that was produced off Broadway, one that won multiple awards, uh-huh. um, which happens to not be the same one that went off Broadway. Uh-huh. But um, I. was a struggling actor mm-hmm. who didn't embrace at that time the success I had at WWF. Yeah, how big I, it was. I, yeah. At the moment, I almost looked at it as if I didn't ever get involved there, I would be so much further ahead in my career right now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like very immature, very... Um, unappreciative, I guess, of the yeah. break that I got. 
Um, yeah. Because I got an agent and a manager because of WWF. Yeah. Not because I was a terrific actor. Mm. Um, and and it took, you know, from it took almost twenty years for me to realize the blessing that the WWS WWF was for me. Yeah. Huh. And what are you, what are you doing now? Smoking. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, Some um, of the good stuff or is this? <laughs> yeah. No, not later. When the, when the NIT final starts, obviously. Okay. I'm trying to watch the fucking Yankee game, Sean. All right. Oh, uh, no. you, you, you're a big sacrifice here. You're doing it for me. I appreciate no, it. I hope you got a deep uh, start. You, you know, I it's opening day. Right now, there's no, I don't do a lot of these and I haven't done one in a long time. Yeah. And I'm only doing this because it's you and I really appreciate it. Love you. And I just thought you were so many, there were so many similarities in what you were doing there and what I was doing there. Yeah, You know what? And and I'm glad you said that because really it, it, uh, I, I, I take that as a compliment because, uh, I wasn't just a guy sitting in front of a mic, uh, you know, telling you where the, events were going to be. I was a, I was a frustrated <laughs> improvisation actor. I was, <laughs> you know, I would say to people, because I know you started before me, but not that much before me. No. And I would say to people, why isn't Sean in New York city replacing Bill Butel or some, like, I just thought you were, you, you, you had such presence and spoke so well and was a good looking guy that why weren't you, why were you in the WWF? Why weren't you on 60 minutes? Well, it's a, it's a crazy road. Uh, my, my path has never been usual. And that you asked me what I'm doing now. Yeah. And one of the things I'm doing is, well, my main thing is, um, basically running my son's career. Yes. Uh, and we mentioned your son, uh, yeah. James. I mean, you're exactly. Irish. You, you saw the movie Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Oh, great, great film. That was really critically acclaimed, too, didn't that? That won awards. Oh, my that was God. A- he won awards. It was up for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, you know, he was the little boy in that. Yeah. Right. Now that's all coming together. I've, I've gotten to, to hear about this, but he's had a, 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 very, a fantastic career. And also uh, with uh, the Sean, Kevin Eight series. Right. Yeah, like he's had a career that I don't know, dead or alive, I swear to you on this. I don't know if anybody's from age, let's say, seven to 12, if any child actor from seven to 12 has a better resume or has done more and worked with more special people than he has. It's just been fucking crazy yeah. and he's um, and he's, he's handled it well uh, uh that's a lot he's the kid. best kid you know he did a um this is a great story um he we were leaving for la to go shoot this amazon fire phone um huh. campaign three commercials um and i got a call like three days before we were leaving from his agent said that, um, do, are, you, are you interested in having James do a WWE um, pay-per-view event? 
Sunday night. We were leaving Monday morning. And I was like, oh, I don't know. She said, well, they, they called and they said, we, we want your best eight to 10 year old. Uh-huh. And now this, his agency is the biggest, biggest agency in New York. Uh-huh. And believe it or not, I mean, they've got like, like 300 kids and James is their top kid. Out of the 300 guy? kids. Like he's, you know, the, the big fish in a small pond, a small fish in a big, James is a big fish in a big pond. Yeah. And I said, yeah, all right, we'll do it. I, I know he'll, he'll get a kick out of it. And yeah, we'll do it. And he was a fan was right here. Huh? He was a fan. Not of the WWE tremendously, or... yeah, okay. although enough to know like who John Cena is, yeah. um, you know, enough. He was eight at the time. Yeah. Not totally hooked, but, um, you know, savvy enough to know what's going on in the world outside of his house. And, so we did it, and it was this uh, Extreme Rules cage match between John Cena and the Wyatt brothers. Okay. When was that? That was a couple uh, of years ago. Like four years ago. Four, well, geez. So these deers run together. Okay. So he, was, he, you guys do it? You, he did it? It was right here at the Meadowlands. Yeah. Okay. All right? Yeah. So... I'm thinking they're going to have him do a promo or something for this thing. It's going to be, we're going to be in and out. And so we get there and it's, it, we had no idea what we were walking into. They told us what time to show up. And, and uh, one of the producers comes up to us and, okay, so James is going to be um, in the featured match. What they're going to do is it's a steel cage match and he's going to be, when uh, when when Cena knocks out Bray Wyatt, James is going to appear. The lights are going to go out. And James is going to appear at the door at the gate of the the at of the you know the steel cage, the door that that Cena is going to try to walk out of. When the lights come back on, James is going to be standing there, and he's going to sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. <laughs> okay. And they, 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 the microphone, you know, they make it sound like he's got the, like they, yeah. how they changed the, the, yeah, they did the reverb yeah. or something. Yeah. And okay. it turns out he's like the star of this fucking event. And I, everybody, all my Facebook friends, all my <laughs> wrestling fan friends, 90% of whom I've never met, but they, yeah. uh, a friend of me on Facebook and, they were like, they were certain that James got this gig because of my connection to the WWF. I had nothing to do with it. Wow. He booked this because they called his agency and he was the number one kid at the time. So Vince, Mc, Vince who I haven't seen now at this point in like 20 years, yeah. comes over to him. And Neil gets down on his Great knees. Great job, pal. <laughs> no, no, no. Before. Before. Yeah. He's now oh. going to explain what James Oh, gonna what he's going to do. Okay. That they're going to have him under the ring. When the lights go out, they're gonna, somebody's going to come get him and bring him up. And he's going to sing. He's got the whole, you know, he's telling, explaining all this 
stuff. And then he looks up at me, he goes, you must be his dad. And I said, Vince, you recognize me? And he stands up and he's looking at me, he goes, you look familiar. And I made the Jameson face, crossed the eyes, and uh. changed the jaw. And he was, he almost fell over. Oh, wow. He gave me the biggest hug. Surreal is that. I was so cool. Uh. Um, but yeah, this kid is, he's a superstar. He, yeah, talented. Jeez. Uh, have you, has, uh, what you went through, have you, uh, cause you been able to guide him, uh, to help oh my him? God. This seems... I coach actors Yeah, and I've been his only coach. He's never taken an acting class. He's never, Gee. um, and I've natural. been able to kind of steer him through all this. I mean, this kid had a, uh, was on a Disney show for three years. He's yeah. done 25 national commercials three award-winning films um it's just crazy what he's always working we we just wrapped season two of kevin kuwait two yeah. weeks ago yeah he's already shot a film shooting another one next month Jeez. and then he's got a big one this summer uh he's just and he's the nicest Adjust. ask your producer yeah. ask your producer yeah. who yeah. spent 15 minutes on the phone with him what kind of kid this is. I mean, yeah. he just, and everybody keeps saying to me, what you're such a great father, what you, and I say, it's fucking luck. Mm. 50, 60, 70% of it is luck. This kid's got everything working and right in his brain. My yeah, daughter, same way. Yeah, they, all great. their networks are completed. And, um, you know, I'm just blessed that I got two great kids. Yeah. And you see him making that transition one day. He will be an adult actor too. This is going to be something. Absolutely, he's, to, he's yeah. just he's huh. just way too. He just gets it, you know. Yeah. He really understands it. And he wants to make movies. He wants to produce and direct. And fucking kid turned oh. thirteen yeah, two days ago, uh -huh. um, and he's everybody's everybody he works with is just like oh, what a great kid. That's awesome. Well, uh, James, if you're listening, remember you take care of Dad. He's uh, he's a great guy, and uh, and it's clear, uh, John, that you look back fondly at your time that you spent in the WWF slash WWE. Always put that in there, uh, as we know it today as the WWE. And it is uh, it's great that you've embraced how fans of that era really appreciated what you brought to the Bobby Heenan show, uh, and, and much much more. Uh, yeah, John DiGiacomo, uh, Jameson. Thanks so much for coming on Primetime. Sean, thanks for having me, buddy. And we'll stay in touch. All right, what did I tell you? That was going to be a very, very interesting conversation. I think I put a Twitter up and said, uh, it's another one of those conversations that will absolutely blindside you. There was some uh, awesome information in there. And like I said, stuff that was going on behind the scenes that I had no idea about. So that was... Uh, a, a memorable one, and um, wow. Uh, thank you, John DiGiacomo, for joining us on Primetime Jameson. Uh, we had a lot of fun with him. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we have a lot more to give away, and I have plenty after my trip to New Orleans. So with that, I'm going to give away another awesome item. How about a signed copy 
of Danny Davis's brand new book that's just out, Mr. X, The Life Story of Dangerous Danny Davis, a signed copy. Okay, and here's how you could win it. And this is uh, going to be done the same way we did with the, uh, the Facebook Live giveaway. I want you to go to iTunes and, of course, subscribe if you haven't already. Then give us a rating and a review, and we are going to randomly select a winner from one of those reviews, and we will announce that winner uh, this Friday on our Facebook page. Okay, so uh, if you'd like to win that book, The Life Story of Dangerous Danny Davis, that's how you can do it. Get to iTunes and give us a uh, rating and a review. And of course, if you haven't subscribed, do that. Uh, but uh, you'll find out who won that book on our Facebook page, Primetime with Sean Mooney, this Friday. And uh, have you caught any of the uh, action of the of MLW, uh, Major League Wrestling? You know what I'm talking about? It's uh, really been exploding over the last several months. And uh, I don't know if you've seen any of this. A lot, uh, they have some of it up on uh, YouTube for free. Um, uh, but anyway, it's just really unique um, what they've been doing with MLW. And now they have partnered with Be In Sports Network. And beginning this Friday, you can catch MLW Fusion. That's what the uh, program is called. And that show is going to air every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Each and every Friday, and this week, Pentagon Jr. battles Ray Phoenix. And who will be the number one contender for Shane Strickland's world heavyweight title? Well, tune in this Friday and find out, okay? Uh, the other great news is that we now have a website that connects you to everything that uh, Moon Nation is a part of, primetimemoonie.com, primetimemoonie.com, that links you to everything we do. Links you to all of our episodes of Primetime with Sean Mooney. It also links you to all of our social media outlets and even our Primetime Tees. You can get your Sean Mooney Who t-shirt. We've got some other ones up there. And we have some awesome new ones that are going to be come out, uh, coming out in the next couple of weeks. We'll keep you updated on that. But uh, if you uh, have any doubts, I mean, a lot of you already are locked into uh, picking up the, the podcast on iTunes. But that is uh, Primetime Central. You just go to primetimemooney.com and we'll have everything linked right there. Primetime with Sean Mooney is definitely back. And thanks for hanging with us. We'll be back with another great episode next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I'm out. The world of NLW Radio never stops. Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related healthcare to millions of patients in over 100 countries. But they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In Campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G.